0: All right, with that, we are going to be looking this morning in our series on the church. We've departed from Luke, and uh, we are not doing Luke for a little while, just to focus our attention on you and the church. And this morning, it's going to be about you and church membership. Now, when I was working on my doctorate at Westminster Seminary in Escondido... I had the privilege of taking a few classes on preaching from Dr. J. Adams. And Dr. Adams is uh, just, uh, a great guy. He's written many books. He's a pastor. He's a great preacher, teacher. Um, he's one of the, the foremost mover and shakers in the biblical counseling realm. And in this class, we were sitting and talking. And the subject of church discipline came up. I forget how. And uh, we had a whole bunch of pastors here in this room. And, and one of the pastors asked, well, you know, what do you do? I mean, how do you apply church discipline to those who aren't members of the church? And Dr. Adams, you just have to kind of know him. He likes to mess with you. And um, he, he just said in a very relaxed but definitive way, well, church discipline is for believers. And if somebody isn't a member of the church, they need evangelize, not discipline. And of course, he said this to promote discussion, and it did. <laughs> Mark Dever, pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., often makes a similar statement. He's written a lot on the church, several books, and teaches at conferences on the church. And what uh, Pastor Dever likes to do is begin with this statement. If you are not a member of the church you regularly attend, you may well be going to hell. Now, when I make comments like that, does that kind of, you know, does that kind of shock you? I, I hope it does. That was the whole purpose. To get your attention and to shock you. Because you know what? I think some of you need shocked. I think some of you maybe need offended a little bit. Your lack of commitment offended. Some, and I'm going to do my best this morning <laughs> to probably offend you unto obedience. Now, if you knew Dr. Adams or uh, Dever, you would know that they don't teach salvation by works. They're champions of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, through the person and work of Christ alone. And so why would they make these statements that if you aren't a member of the church you regularly attend, they're, they're not a believer. Well, we're going to find out this morning. There are many today who profess to be Christians, who attend church for years. Some of them never get baptized. They never become members of the church. And to them, church is about getting their needs met. You know, it's kind of like a shopping mall. The churches of your area are different shops. And if you go to one and they don't give you what you want, then you go find another one. Until you you get what you're looking for. You're kind of a religious ping pong ball. You're just bouncing around from church to church. Never committing, never serving, never giving that you're a Christian. Joshua Harris in his small but helpful book, Stop Dating the Church, says, You can always spot a church dater because they display usually these three qualities. One, they are me-centered. Church is about me, about what I want, about what I can get, about the music style I like and the preaching style I like and, you know, the donuts I like. And, you know, if you don't get what you want, then you go somewhere else so you can get your needs met. Secondly, Harris says they are independent. They don't want to become a member. Then they'd have to submit to the leadership authority they have to have other people get involved in their lives and get to know them. They'd know what they do during the week. They don't, they don't want that. They don't want people to find out what they're really like. They want to be independent. So they kind of just enter church into stealth mode. Kind of, you know, slink in and sit in the balcony. <laughs> I just want you to know, I don't know who's up there. <laughs> I can't see you. the lights are too bright, but I know you're there. Uh, you know And then after the service, it's kind of like, you know, slip out the back, Jack, and make a new plan stand, and they're just out, you know? And you wonder, who's up there? You know, I never met any of them. They're just gone. So they're independent. And thirdly, he says they're critical. They're critical. No, that church. The the pastor is just—he's just kind of—he's not quite where I am doctrinally. His sermons are—they're a bit too long. They're too doctrinal. There's—they don't have the right programs. The people just aren't very friendly. Uh, the building's too old. And the lights are too dim. And heater isn't turned on high enough. The music, it's too archaic or it's too modern or there's not enough choruses and there's not enough hymns and, you know, their selfishness makes them critical. It's one of their defense mechanisms so they can justify bouncing around from church to church and never being committed. I can't become a member of this church because they're hypocrites. There's too much doctrine. There's not enough grace. The people there, they, they aren't perfect. Besides, they say to themselves, I will probably be moving on soon, and they probably will, and they do. Until they go to another church, and they kind of, they're like Halley's Comet, you know, every five or ten years, they kind of come by. You know, you see them for two or three Sundays, and then they're off to the next church again. Joshua Harris describes a friend who went to two churches on Sunday morning. He went to one because he liked the music, and another one because he liked the preaching. So he'd go to the music one first, get the music fix he liked, and then he'd stop by at his favorite place to eat, get a little snack, time it just right so he could just slip out and not have to listen to any of the icky music, and then he could hear the preaching he wanted. Now that is just selfishness. A person like that has no idea what church is about at all. They are totally clueless. They're missing it. They're missing it out big time they then i have no idea what it means to be a committed member of the body of Christ in reality They're cheating themselves, they're cheating the world, they're cheating the church, and they're cheating God of his glory. And that's what they're getting. They think that by, you know, shopping and, and you know, manipulating things to get everything they want, that they're getting the most blessing. They're not. They're sinning. They're not being blessed. They're not being a good example. And they're cheating everybody else, including themselves. And they're not getting what they are missing. And they don't even know what they're missing because they're not committed. And so this morning we are going to go after this whole idea of church membership. And so I just have an artificial outline here of three points. They all relate to church membership. And the first one is biblical support for church membership. Now, if you were here last week, we started off by first defining the church. And this is kind of critical because whenever you talk about church, I think I used 14 bogus definitions of the church last week. And then there's even within the Bible, there's a whole bunch. You know, there's two big ones, though. There is what is called the invisible church. There are about 15 to 17 verses in the New Testament which describe what is called the invisible church or uh, the universal invisible church, all believers of all time, whether they're on earth or dead and in heaven, all of the true believers are part of the invisible church. Now, related to that is... The visible church, and that's us and all the other congregations around the world, whether they're meeting in houses or garages or warehouses or church buildings like this, um, that is the visible church. So we have the invisible church, all true believers. Then we have the visible church, and there's always people within the visible church who are believers and unbelievers there's wheat wheat among the tares and you know goats among the sheep people who know they're not saved people who are thinking about you know maybe giving their life to christ people who think they're saved but are not and so there's this mixture within the visible church so you need to keep that that uh, those two key definitions in mind because when you start talking about the church then it can be confusing one person's thinking of true believers other one's thinking of mixture um one's thinking of a building one thinks of an institution one thinks of a pastor one thinks of a profession i mean there's so many definitions that you have to get that clear so we're mostly going to be talking about the local visible church this morning Now, sometimes when you're talking to people, and you've probably had this happen to you, um, you start talking to people, you think, you know, I think I want to see if I can, you know, talk to this person about the Lord. So, you know, there's nobody there. And, you know, you've got this little moment with this person you don't know and say, yeah, you know, I'm a Christian. And they go, oh, are you one of those uh, born again Christians? I like that question. Uh, I like to say, well, is there any other kind? Jesus said, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then he said, right after that, you must be born again. There is only one kind of Christian, the born again kind. And if you're not born again, I don't care what you call yourself or how religious you are. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. You're a child of Satan. You're headed for hell. All Christians in the invisible church are all born again. That is just what the scriptures teach. Now, when you start talking about people, about being a Christian, a true believer, then the subject of church comes up and maybe you mention, yeah, you know, what church do you belong to? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't believe in church membership. Really? Yeah. Why not? Well, you know, I just don't know. I, I've i had a bad experience. Oh, so you aren't going to commit yourself to the church because somebody else sinned, so you're going to sin too? Is that what you're saying? Listen, somebody sinned against me, so I'm going to sin against God. Now, think about that. Is that reasonable? No. Or here's another excuse. Well, I'm living in sin right now. And I don't want to become a member because I know that church, that Calvary Bible Church, man, they discipline people there. We're going to have a whole other sermon on that later too, by the way. Um, they discipline people there. So, man, I've got to get my act together and quit sinning because I know I'm living an ongoing sin. Well, that that person needs evangelized. Because the scriptures make it clear. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Some people say, well, you know, I would become a member, but I don't want to go. I don't want to be submitting to anybody. You know, I'd have to submit to the leadership and I'm not going to do that. Even though the Bible says, obey your leaders and submit to them. You don't want to obey God. Or some people say, well, you know, I just don't want to serve. I'm really busy. Even though the scriptures say. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. Even though you're commanded to serve, you don't want to obey God. And then somebody says, well, listen, I don't see church membership in the scriptures. Well, that's why we're in Hebrews 10. Look at you, Hebrews 10. Verse 24 and 25, a familiar text. If you've been around the church for a while, you probably know this passage because this is one of those common texts that people like to, um, you know, quote about being involved in church. Hebrews ten twenty four and 25 says, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near." So, you know, you may know this text, you've probably heard it before, if you've been around the church for long, maybe even have it memorized. I mean, if I kind of got you started, you could probably finish it pretty well. But what many people don't have memorized, or even know about at all, is the context. And everybody knows that when you study the Bible, context is king. Yeah, ooh, I love that. Um, context is king. And so what is the context of this passage? Well, the book of Hebrews in its largest context is about the superiority of Christ. Specifically, the superiority of Christ over the things in Judaism which just foreshadowed or were a picture of the ultimate things that would be fulfilled in Jesus. He is, for instance, better than the angels. He is better than Moses. He is the better high priest. He is the better sacrifice, etc., etc. And so all the way through the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews um, argues for the superiority of Christ. And sprinkled throughout the book are these five, what commentators like to call, warning sections. There are warning sections. Now, these warning sections are designed to get people who are regularly attending the local church who have not yet committed themselves to Christ and the local church to get off the fence, to push them off on the side of faith and commitment to the local church. And so periodically, as you read through the book, he kind of stops and addresses these fence sitters. This text is one of them this text is one of them so in this near preceding context the author of hebrews reminds us that jesus is our great high priest that's from verses 19 all the way down through 21 and then he says if you look at hebrews 10:22 look there let us draw near with a sincere heart In full assurance, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now, the author of Hebrews uses a lot of Old Testament, you know, sacrificial system lingo here. But notice that at the end, he he has let us... And which tells us there 's this exhortation, Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. He is encouraging us to not doubt our salvation. why the answer he who promised is faithful. You don't need to doubt that you're going to lose your salvation, that you're going to forfeit your salvation, that you're going to fall from saving grace. Why? Not because of you and not because of what you do, but because the God who saves is a faithful God. That's what he says. But that's not the end of the sentence. Then we get into the next let us statement. We have these these two lettuces in The preceding verses, not to, we aren't talking salad here. (laughs) Then we have this other, let us, in verse 24, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. This is one of the many one another's of the Bible, and for your information, in weeks to come, we're going to do a whole sermon on that also, but... Here this one another, this particular one another, is an exhortation to for believers in the local church to stimulate other believers in the local church to love and good deeds in the local church. Now, this is the positive action all believers are to engage in. It is their responsibility to encourage others to love and good deeds in the context of the local visible church. Now, you may think to yourself, how do I know this? I mean, how do I know that? Look at verse 25, where we have the negative of the positive exhortation in verse 24. Verse 24 gives us the positive thing to do. Verse 25 gives us the negative thing not to do. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The assembly is the assembly of the local church, the context where we encourage one another to love and good deeds. He says, don't get in the habit of forsaking the assembly of the local church. Instead, be encouraging, which is a synonym for stimulating one another to love and good deeds. Now, you may be out there thinking to yourself, well, all right, I see that believers are to, you know, be in the local church, and I see that, that you know, we are to be stimulating one another to love and good deeds and and um, encouraging one another, uh, but, you know, I don't have to be a member to do that. I can just show up periodically on Sunday, and the rest of the Sundays I can stay home and, you know, watch one of those whacked out TV evangelists and have church in front of my TV. Or maybe I could just, you know, get a tape or a CD of some sermon of some great preacher and I'll just listen to it and have church at home. Or if I'm really tech, I'll download three MP3 sermons off the internet and I'll drive around and do errands and listen to three sermons on Sunday. Whoa! I'll get triple church. And if that is you... I want you to look at Hebrews ten, twenty six and twenty seven, and let these words strike you through. We read, For if we go on sinning willfully, now just stop there. Now he's talking about some sin. For tells us he is con Continuing the thought, for if we go in sinning willfully, we have to ask ourselves this. What is the nearest antecedent sin mentioned? If that word antecedent scares you, what is the nearest sin mentioned in the preceding context before verse 26? Look there. Forsaking the assembly of the local church. Which would include refusing to fulfill Your God-given responsibilities and obligations to the local church. That is the nearest sin mentioned in the context. Don't forsake, don't depart, don't abandon, don't desert the local church because you have the Holy Spirit. You have spiritual gifts. You are to use them in the context of the local church. You are to do all the things God says you are to do in the context of the local church. And if you forsake the assembly, what? What? Verse 26, for if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. That doesn't sound good. But a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Ow. Does that sound like believer to you? Adversaries of God? People who have nothing to anticipate but the certain terrifying expectation of judgment. No, that's not a believer. Believers have passed from judgment to life. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's talking about unbelievers. Unbelievers. Now you can see why Dr. Adams endeavor And moi are saying this departure from the local church, a refusal to fulfill your God given responsibilities to the local body of believers is a clear, certain indicator that you don't love God. That's why the Apostle John in 1 John 2.19 says they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they have been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it will be shown that they are all not of us. You know, there's many mothers and fathers and listen, parents don't want to think about their kids going to hell. Uh, They want to think their kids are going to heaven, but just thinking it doesn't make it true. And sometimes you have children who grow up in a Christian family. The parents are Christians and they have their kids come to church and the parents are very encouraged. And then as soon as the kids graduate from high school and get out from home, they quit going to church. And you talk to these parents and the mother or the father says, yeah, you know, my kids are, they're Christians. They just aren't going to church right now. And then you have to say, so what does that mean? They're unbelievers, is what it means. We need to stop and ask ourselves this is church a big deal to God? I mean, the things that are a big deal, God talks a lot about, and the, the church is just all the way through the New Testament, it's everywhere. All the epistles in the New Testament are all written to the church. Acts is all about the founding of the church. Revelation, the first three chapters, the church, the end, the church. It's the church, the whole thing. And how much did God pay for the church? Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, he says, knowing you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of the lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. That makes the church a huge deal. Paul, when speaking to the Ephesian elders In the book of Acts, in chapter 20, verse 28 says, Be on guard for yourself and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. You elders, you're going to be held accountable for how you shepherd your local congregation which God incarnate purchased with his own blood. That makes the church the most valuable and precious thing, both in heaven and on earth. It is a huge deal to God. Now, if you're sitting out there and you're thinking, well, Jack, okay, it's it's a big deal. But show me that verse that just says, thou shalt become a member. Go to membership class, fill out the application and be interviewed. And if that's you, I just want you to know that verse just isn't in the Bible. And then I know what you're thinking. Ah, told you, told you, told you. And you know, Jack, you can't be, you know, adding things to the scriptures. Because if you add things to the scriptures, you know, that's not good. You know, those curses and everything. And, you know, you'd really be a legalist if you did that. And you know what? I love people who say things like that. I just like that. I can respect the person who says, where is it in the book? Where is it in the book? You know, where stands it written? You know, and that's a great thing. Where stands it written? Well, if Hebrews 10, 24 through 27 isn't enough, I'm coming at you. The book of Acts is where it's written. The book of Acts tells us about the early church. And you know what it teaches us? It teaches us that the early church kept records. For instance, in Acts 2. This is at Pentecost. This is the birth of the church. Acts 2.41 says that after the gospel was preached at Pentecost, this is what happened. So then those who had received his words, Peter's words, the preaching the gospel, were baptized, made a public commitment and profession of faith, and that day were added about 3,000 souls. What does that tell us? They kept records of those who believed and were baptized. They knew how many people were added to the church. Voila! Acts 4:32 says, "And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul." Notice, there was a congregation of those who believed. They knew who the believers were. They were the congregation. Acts chapter 8 verse 11:22 speaks of the church of Jerusalem, that is the believers at Jerusalem. Acts chapter 11 verse 46, we read this, "And when he, that is Barnabas, had found him, that is Paul, he brought him to Antioch, and for an entire year they met with the church, the believers at Antioch, and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Here we see that the believers at Antioch were the church at Antioch, and they knew who they were, and they trained those who they knew were believers at Antioch. Herod, Acts 12.1 says, tried to lay hands on some who belonged to the church. How did they know? They kept records. Acts 13.1. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, and then he goes on to describe their names and who they are. Certain people were in the church. At Antioch, in Acts 14.23, it says, And they had appointed elders for them in every church. Having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And this is huge. This tells us that each local congregation was not only defined, but certain people were picked who had names that people knew who met the qualification for elders and those people were assigned to shepherd the flock in a certain location and you can't shepherd the flock of God among you unless you're among the flock of God unless you're qualified you don't know if you're qualified unless you've been around you know the people they know you they know your character they know you're faithful you have been tested and then you are qualified to shepherd the flock. And the only way that it happens is if they know who's committed the church and who isn't. Who's in the church and who's not. Secondly, not only is the book of Acts, and again, that's just a sampling. There's tons of verses in Acts. Um, read the whole book and you'll see. The New Testament epistles are all written to the local church. I already mentioned this. But when you look at the New Testament epistles, realize this, that every time you read, you know, acts or you know romans or corinthians or just go on down the line all of those things are written to local churches or in the case of you know timothy and titus to specific people in local churches they're all two local churches about local churches what local churches are to do and there's not a mention not a single shred of scripture anywhere that talks about the person who's saved who's outside the local church it doesn't exist there's nothing there Any instruction is for those in the church committed to the church who have made a public profession in the church of God. Third, Christ loves the church. You say, well, what's that have to do with church membership? We're getting there. You remember Ephesians five, where the section in verse 22 and following, it talks about husbands, loving wives and wives, you know, so many husbands, but it says in there, husbands, love your wife, verse 23, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then after he goes through talking about all this, you remember at the very end, he says, and what I'm speaking, and this mystery is great, but I'm speaking in reference to Christ and the church. So as he's addressing husbands and wives, he's also letting them know that the husband and wife relationship, that loving, sacrificial, committed relationship is the relationship on earth that pictures... Christ and his love for his bride, the church. So that is something that is huge for this reason. Because we are Christians, right? And the word Christians means little Christ. And guess what? You have to ask yourself, are are, are believers to be like Christ? Well, yes. Are believers to love the things that Christ loves? Yes. Does Christ love the church? Yes. Is Christ committed to the church? Yes. I mean, have you ever read those letters in Revelation chapter two and three where Jesus, you know, commends and rebukes and confronts and exhorts He mentions specific people, specific issues. Why does he do that to literal local churches? Why does he do that? Because he loves the church. He loves the local church and you are to be like Jesus and love the church. And if you aren't willing to make a commitment to the church, how can you say that's love? I mean, all you got to do is talk to anybody here that's been married, you know, 35, 40, 50 years and say, man, how did you make it through all the hard times and all the trials and all these things? I mean, was it those warm fuzzies you had? Those romantic, you know, oh, I just love you. I mean, is that what got you through? <laughs> what was what, what, what it? And what are they going to tell you? They're going to say, you know what? It was our commitment to love and to cherish through richer and poor and through better and worse as long as we both shall live. And that's what got us through. They all say that. And if they don't, they're divorced. (laughs) That's what gets you through. A commitment. A commitment to fulfill your solemn oath before God. Love is based off of that kind of commitment. So you cannot say, I love the church. I love what Christ loved. And not be committed It just doesn't work. Secondly, consider this. God calls you to corporate worship with the local church. Think about this. You need to assemble to worship corporately. We see this in the scripture, for instance, in first Corinthians 11, you know, that text we read from every time, pretty much we have communion Sunday in, in verses 17 and 18 of that chapter, Paul says, but in giving this structure, this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together, not for the better but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, it's just assumed they come together as a church. You gather to worship as a church. In Acts 20, verse 7, it says, On the first day of the week, Sunday, when we were gathered together to break bread, a synonym for communion, Paul began talking to them. He preached until midnight. He preached until a guy dropped out of the window and killed himself. And believe me, it's never happened here yet. (laughs) But the whole point is, they gathered on Sunday to be equipped to hear preaching, to celebrate communion. Sound familiar? The gathering of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 4, Paul kind of confronts the Corinthian church because they were putting up with this guy who was wicked and he says in the name of the lord jesus when you are assembled and i with you in spirit and then he goes on to address the situation in other words the corinthians had a time where they gathered together corporately it's all the way through the bible there's tons of verses you can find it they gather together they came together when you are together you know there's just statements like that and it's just assumed that yes the local church will gather at times just like we're gathering now to praise god worship god pray hear the scriptures taught Encourage one another, serve one another, and do all the things that the church is to do when it gets together. Third, God calls you to fellowship with the local church. We saw this from Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. You are to be stimulating one another to love and good deeds. There's lots of texts on this. We're going to spend a whole sermon on this. Actually, two sermons. Actually, three sermons. Um, uh, They all relate to this issue. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's what church is about. Church isn't just coming to get what you want, you know, to plunder the Egyptians. Church is about you coming to give what God gave you. For God calls you to serve others in the local church with your spiritual gifts. This is the natural outcome. This is part of fellowshipping with the local church. It's the natural outflow. We're going to talk about this, you know, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, that each of you has received spiritual gifts from the Holy spirit. And as Peter says, in first Peter four, verse 10, as each one has received that special gift, you are to employ it in serving one another. You can't do that. If you're skipping around, if you're not committed, You think we're going to let you lead or teach. And if you won't even become a member, if you won't even say, yes, I submit myself to the leadership, not in your life. Five, God calls you to be ministered to by others in the local church. You see, when you don't become committed, then you don't serve in the area of your spiritual giftedness like you should, so you're cheating other people. If you don't become a member then and commit yourself, then other people have spiritual gifts who want to invest in you. Don't get a chance to either. So you're robbing them of the blessing. Because Jesus said it is more blessed to give than receive. But you won't commit yourself. And so you need to commit yourself. Because other people are waiting to serve you. To disciple you. To rope you into their ministry. To make you part. To get involved in your life. Six. God calls you to evangelize the lost. And bring them into the local church. Now. If you're not part of the local church, what do you do if you lead somebody to the Lord? See, there it is. <laughs> what do you do? The baby just said, I don't know. Um, that's what that meant. Yeah, what do you do? You know, you lead somebody to Christ and then you say, okay, be warm and filled. You know, trust God. He'll take care of you. Now Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, lead them to the Lord by preaching the gospel. Then get them to make a public profession of their faith in Jesus Christ, baptizing them. And then what? And then I want you to be teaching them, discipling them, to observe all that I commanded you. And where does that happen? In the context of the local church. That's where it happens. That's where it happens. We saw in Acts that evangelism isn't merely about sharing the gospel, but sharing the gospel, bringing people to a place of public profession and faith in Christ where they are committed to local church. Seven, God calls you to submit to the leadership of the local church. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 13, since we're kind of a Hebrews this morning. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, where the author of Hebrews says this, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you and considering the result of their conduct imitate their faith. Now, do you see that command there, that exhortation to imitate the faith of your leaders? The question is this, are you going to obey this or not? I have news for you. All the leaders here are all members. You going to imitate that or not? They're all committed. Are you going to imitate that or not? Look down at verse 17 of Hebrews 13. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who are given account. Let them do this with joy and not grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. The leadership of Calvary Bible Church wants you to know that you need to commit yourself to local body believers. If it's not this one, to another one. You need to become a member. You see what God's telling you here? Obey your leaders and submit to them. I'm telling you from them, they want you to do that. You going to be that or not? Richard Baxter in his work, The Christian Directory, speaking of those who do not commit themselves to membership, says, quote, He therefore that will intrude intrude into the communion and privileges without expressing his consent beforehand to be a member and to submit to the pastoral oversight is to be taken for an invader, end quote. Oh, wow. Why say that? Because it's true. I mean, if the scriptures say, do that, and the leadership saying, commit yourself, and the leaders saying follow our examples, and we're all members, we're telling you to be members, and you go, wow, you know, what? What's your excuse? There there is none. There is no excuse. There's no way out of this one. That's the whole point of the sermon. God calls you to give to the local church, number eight. And I've done a whole series on this. I'm not going to go into this in detail. But you need to give to the local church. Now, what do you think? If we could let all the giving records be known, and we never will, what would you think? Who gives to the church? The members or the non-members? You know the answer. You know the answer. The non-members, the uncommitted people, don't want to give to the church. They don't obey God in this area. They want the local church to feed them spiritually to provide soft squishy pews and lighting and sound systems and parking lots and children's ministries they want to receive as much as they can they want to plunder the egyptians then leave with no commitment without contribution to the lord's work i had something really strange happen a while back because this has never happened to me and this was this was just strange out of there never happened before this guy comes into my office and says you know um i really feel like the lord is moving me to give to your church And they go, fine you know give he goes well i go to a different church and he says i'm giving to that church and i don't want you to think i'm not giving to my church and i said well you know what do you what do you mean what do you mean he says and things are happening here i just really feel god is doing things at this church and i want to give to this church but he says You know, I got some criteria. And I think, oh, great. He wants a plaque, you know, with his name on it. And he wants, you know, a full page ad in the daily news. And I gave to George, you know. And I just thought, oh, no. He says, listen, I don't want anybody to know what I give. No one. He says, how many people will know? He says, if I give, how many people will know? I said, just one person. Don Chernock. (laughs) He is a black vault <laughs> everything goes in he's always willing to take an offering and that's it he was the only one who'll know he said okay i want to know who he is and how do i get to talk to him so he's not here right now i gave him and i've never had that happen this guy loved giving he, he talked to me he says man he says i've just been so blessed he and he told me this story that i wish i could tell you but it would implicate the godliness of somebody here who wouldn't want you to know but somebody's example in giving just blessed them so much it changed their life and here's this person now giving but doesn't want anybody know, and he's given cheerfully he's given sacrificially and he's given so that only god knows that's part of being part of the local church that's what christians do Now I could give you more reasons, but we're running out of time. But the whole point here is that if you love God, you will love the body of Christ and you will want to be part of the body. You'll want to serve in the body. You want to give in the body. You want to be blessed by the body. You want to hang around the body. And if you don't want that, you're an unbeliever. You are an unbeliever. I, I don't know what else other conclusion. Well, I don't really like the people of God and I don't want to actually obey God in all these areas. I'd prefer to just do my own thing and rule my own life. I mean, what is that? Now, I want you to know there are reasons, legitimate reasons for not becoming a member of the local church. And some of you are going, Whew. Um, you know, you're here for three months because, you know, you live somewhere else and your job brought you here and you're on a special assignment, you're going to be heading back, fine. You know, maybe you're just here from out of town. This is your first Sunday and you're thinking, whoa, this church is serious. Um, Then you're you're kind of shopping, you know, you're kind of thinking, well, maybe I shouldn't go anywhere. Maybe we should, Uh, you know, uh, that's fine. The, The whole point is find a church, get committed, serve there, whether it's here or somewhere else. You know, maybe you're a brand new believer, you know, you're going to be leaving the state in three weeks and you know, that's fine. You know, you're not going to become a member. You don't have time to, but listen, you have a bunch of those little flimsy excuses. You just need to say, Lord, okay, you're right. <laughs> um, time's up. I've just been looking out for number one here. I really haven't realized the implications of not being committed to the local church. And now I'm going to pursue membership this is what the elders want you to do. This is the example they have set for you. This is the example in the scriptures. So do it. Now, if you're out there thinking about what does it involve? I mean, what do I have to do? Well, there's beds of nails. uh, (laughs) You know, fire, barefoot on coals. We've got a lot of things you got to do and it hurts, but it's worth it. Um, No, it's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. Well, one of the things that happens is as soon as you get into the area of church membership, the, the scriptures talk about you know, them having roles, knowing who's in and not in the church. You know, uh, all of these things are clear from the scriptures. But the specific process, process is not laid out. So this gives each local church the freedom to develop whatever process they want to kind of be organized and keep track of those who are in and those who are out Jonathan Edwards, for instance, one of the—he's you know one of the greatest theological intellects America has ever uh, produced—was uh, kicked out of his church in Northampton because of this issue of church membership. His father-in-law, who pastored the church before him, Solomon Stoddard. Um, said that, you know, you don't need to do anything to become a church member. So he just kind of had this open, unrestricted view. All you got to do is show up and say, I want to become a member. We'll put you on the rolls and you're part. And that's good if you want to say, hey, we've got 12,000 members. Now, there's only 400 here, but we have 12,000. They're out there somewhere, okay? Um, Some people kind of like the numbers thing, and so they want to have unrestricted, just Open access, just whoever wants to put their name down becomes a member. Well, Edwards, after studying the scriptures, thought, no, this isn't good. This isn't good. Because what happens then, people that aren't even Christians become part of the church, become disciples, become, quote, leaders in music and Bible study teachers and worshipers. And the point is, is, is people who don't know the Lord can't do any of those things. They're all pretending they're the children of Satan. They're headed for hell. And so to try and give them an opportunity to, quote, lead and serve and, quote, minister when they don't even have the Holy Spirit with them, then they aren't even saved, is a huge nightmare. We talked about that last week. And so he wrote in defense of his position, a humble inquiry into in, concerning the qualifications of communion. And he published this in 1749. And it led to his being fired. And all he basically said is, is when somebody wants to be part of this local congregation, we need to find out that they basically know the gospel. They understand how a person is saved and they have, you know, evidence of a transformed life. That was it. And they fired him because a whole bunch of people were already in the church who didn't know the Lord. And so they hated that standard. And so they fired him. William Barclay, who's has a lot of bad doctrine, he advocated this. He says, let's just do this two-tier form of church membership. And he said the first tier would be those for those who are deeply attracted to Jesus Christ in the Christian way. And we wouldn't discipline them if they fell into sin. And then there would be this second kind that was kind of tier that quote, the many. And the fewer prepared to make a total commitment to Jesus Christ. And then, if those people sin, we'll discipline them. Now, from our studies of Luke, how many people are actually Christians who aren't totally committed? Zero. Unless you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus, you cannot be his disciple. There is no half committed Christians. You either repent die to self and receive the Lord Jesus Christ or you don't. There's no in between. And so you're convicted maybe about the sermon you're thinking oh man you know I was just talking to a guy I should have become a member last month you know um (laughs) what's going to happen to me if i do that this is it every couple months we have uh, a little time it's called uh the member new members class or newcomers class or something and uh, you come there and for about three hours we tell you about the history of the church what the church believes and we say this is where we came from this is what we believe and this is your responsibility as a believer well, that's pretty painless. Um, then we give you an application. And if you want to, you can fill out that application and you can then um, write where, where two questions is some background information, but two questions are significant. One is, is have you been baptized? And we ask that because the scriptures commanded. And if somebody says they're a Christian and they've never obeyed the Lord in that area, we want to know why. And so we want to know, have you been baptized as a believer? And if not, why not? And if they say, well, I don't know, I said, okay, baptism class is coming up Two little short class on Sunday. We'll see you in the tank, um, <laughs> you know, and that's what's happening. And if they say, yeah, I've been baptized as a believer, then, then we look at their testimony and we want to know whether their testimony and how they came to the Lord is actually a testimony where they're actually trusting in Christ and his work on the cross to save them or whether they're trusting in their good works. And sometimes it's pretty scary. You know, they write down there, I've been a good person. I haven't murdered anybody. I've tried to do good. I've tried to read my Bible. You know, I've given to the United Way and, you know, whatever. <laughs> they've, they've you know, list these things. And then we realize this person doesn't know the Lord and we, we share the gospel with them. Anyways, you put that in. Then you go in, you have an interview. It's not an inquisition. There's elders there. And, you know, they're scary, some of them. Um, <laughs> but most of them are Nice. And they just ask you basic questions. So, how'd you come to know the Lord? And what are you trusting in to save you? And, you know, what would you say the gospel is? And, and do you have any questions? And do you understand your responsibility to the church? And, and are you ready to submit to that and commit yourself to this local body as we commit ourselves to you? And, you know. Most people just go through. And then finally, um, the elders at the next elder meeting say, these are the people who want to become members. And we say, okay. And then we have them come up here and they're all smiling. And, you know, we, we kind of do a little ceremony, the right hand of fellowship, pray for them. And voila, you know, a bunch of people shake their hands and they're in. Okay. Um, And we just do that because we want to make sure that people who become members here, that we're relatively certain that they're believers. And they may not be. It's not a foolproof process. But it does let us know that even if they aren't believers, they know what the gospel is. And they know what they need to know in order to become believers. And so there's no excuse. So that's what happens. That's what happens in the membership class. Now, here we are. Some of you out there are thinking, man, I am so glad I'm a member <laughs> because that person next to me looks pummeled, um, beat up and drug over the coals. And you know what? Next Sunday's coming. <laughs> next Sunday's coming, the Sunday after that. But if you're out there and you're thinking, you know, I'm," you're right, I'm not a member. I'm not a member. You need to obey God. And you need to become a member at this church or another church, but you need to get committed, become a member, and fulfill your responsibility to the body of Christ. To love that which Christ loves. To stop cheating yourself and cheating the world and cheating the church and cheating God of the glory he deserves because he's given you spiritual gifts and he wants you to use them in the context of this local church. So, having said that, what did we learn this morning? Here it is. You know the Bible teaches it is normal and right for every believer to commit themselves to the local church. Secondly, you know the purpose of becoming a member in the local church. All those things we described are things you are to do, and those all relate to commitment. And those things are all the benefits you receive when you commit yourself. And now you understand the little process we have for members. I just want to tell you one more story about Charles Spurgeon. He comes to the Lord. He's... 16 years old and uh he wants to become a member of the church but his pastor's a little bit slow and slothful and so he comes to him and you know he says yeah i want to become a member and then the pastor doesn't get back to him so he comes again he keeps knocking the guy's door i want to become a member i want to become a member finally he wrote him a letter he said if you don't receive me as a member, I'm going to call a congregational meeting and I'm going to ask the congregation myself if they'll have me. <laughs> that is the attitude that all Christians need to have. I'm, I'm a believer, man. I want to be identified with the people of God. I want them to serve me, and I want to serve them, and I want to give, and I want to put myself under the authority of the elders and the leadership of the church. I want to have all the benefits that all those who are committed to the local church have because I love what Christ loves, and I want to obey the governing authorities. That is the Christian attitude. The person who says, that's not important to me, that person just needs Jesus. He needs Jesus. So, those of you who are not members, get with it. Those of you who are, wear Kevlar next week. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what we're able to see this morning in the scriptures as we looked at many issues related to just being a committed member of the local church. And Father, I pray for those here who, for whatever reason, have been postponing or procrastinating, becoming a member, I pray that they would get those issues resolved. And Father, take action so that they can be blessed, so that they can receive all the blessings that come with being committed to the local church. And Father, for the rest of us, as we have looked at all of these purposes of the church, may all of those things remind us of our responsibilities. And Father, if we are not doing those things, may we be rebuked. May we be confronted, may we confess our sins, and may we start fulfilling the responsibilities and obligations that all believers have to your local body of believers. And Father, we pray all these things in your name because we've seen it in your word and because we want to give you glory. Amen.